We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, if you want to turn in your Bibles there, and then also put a finger over in Ephesians chapter 6. So Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6 are where we are going to be this morning. A number of weeks ago, I said that uh, we are at that passage that talks about doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Talked about how what that means is that we do everything under God's authority, and we do it for his glory. And I articulated then that in the weeks and months ahead, what Paul would be walking through, and we would be walking through as a church as we move through Colossians, is all these specific ways, specific relationships and roles and offices that we carry as human beings uh, and in God's kingdom, ways in which we can glorify God in these specific areas. We looked at marriage a couple weeks ago, and I learned from that as it was the longest sermon that I've ever preached, that, um, yes, I'm, that one, I'm a dummy, um, and, then, and, and two, I like the sound of my own voice, we already knew that, but, but three was split it up next time, I should have done, done wives and then husbands in two different weeks, but this week, I'm learning, I'm learning, and this week we're going to hit uh, where we see both children and parents highlighted in the passage, but we're going to start with children this week, and then we'll get to parents next week. Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, and then we'll go over to the parallel text in Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. 21, for fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Then jump over to Ephesians chapter 6, pick it up in verse 1 there. Children, man repeated, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. May the grass wither and the flower fade, but the word of our God stand forever. Providential that it's D now weekend, and I have a captive audience on the first three rows. It's very nice. Amen. Somebody just said amen. That was a parent. All right, some questions for you as we begin. How many of you are between the ages of five to ten years old? We're here this morning. Lila, you're five, six, aren't you? Right? My own child. All the five and six-year-olds? All right, this sermon is in large part for you. How many of you are between the ages of 10 and 20? Very nice. Look at that. A lot of people in the first three rows. Okay, this one's going to be a little bit odd. How many of you were conceived by a man and a woman? In other words, how many of you have parents? Oh, look at that. It should be everybody, although... We apparently have a few Petri dish babies in the house. All right, so this, this sermon, this text is important for all of us, particularly for you children who are of younger age, but it is appropriate and applicable for all of us. You see, while mo- many of us in this room are parents, and many of us in this room will become parents, all of us, every single one of us, even those who you didn't raise your hands, are children. We are all children. We're going to look this morning first the call to honor and obey. That's the call and the command of this passage, and we also see in the Ten Commandments as well, the call to honor and obey parents. Second, we're going to look at the reasons to honor and obey, and lastly, we'll look at the Father to honor and obey. All right, the call, the call to honor and obey. There's two different groups of people that are talked about or talked, spoken to in this passage. It may not be abundantly clear The first says in both Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord. What it is specifically referring to, the Greek word that undergirds that word children there, is referring to those who are younger. 
Those who are more dependent children, young children, is what it's specifying there. And the command for you kids, this includes you teenagers, is that you should obey your parents. Any confusion about that? Did I stutter in any way? Are there any words there that you don't understand? Children, obey your parents. Say it with me, kids. Children, obey your parents. Excellent. Very good. What does it look like to obey, kiddos? First and foremost, very simply, it means this. You do what your parents tell you to do. You don't do what they tell you not to do. Is that clear? You do what your parents tell you not to do. No. (laughs) Just testing you. Um, Good listening, guys. Yeah. You don't do what your parents tell you not to do, and you do what your parents tell you to do. Second, obedience means what you, you tell you, you what your parents do, tell you to do without grumbling. We're actually called to be cheerful givers, to be cheerful obeyers to God in the same way where it will be in our heart we should pursue, although you won't achieve this all the time, you should be dutiful even when you don't feel like being cheerfully obedient, you should still obey, but the desire is to have a heart of obedience. You know the story of the little boy who uh, his mom tells him to sit down, and he says, I don't want to sit down, but he does it anyways. And she says, very good, I really appreciate you obeying and sitting down. And he says to her, outwardly I'm sitting down, but inwardly I'm standing up. (laughs) That is not a cheerful obeyer. Third, obedience means do what your parents tell you to do quickly. In our household, we have a saying that goes like this, slow obedience is disobedience. Slow obedience is disobedience. So, you obey quickly. Fourth, obedience means you obey your parents. What does it say there in the passage? Does it say sometimes? Does it say when you feel like it? Does it say, teenagers, when you think your parents are really bright and smart and they understand your cultural context? No, it says in everything, obey your parents. Again, the scripture is rather clear here. Everything kind of covers everything, right? which means it has to do with your uh, boy-girl relationships, has to do with your homework, has to do with what your room looks like, has to do with your attitude in regards to church. The commands of the Scripture are not hazy about obeying your parents. Children, obey your parents in everything. Now, a caveat here real quickly. Similar to when we talk about wives submitting to their husbands a couple weeks ago, we said a wife does not have to submit to disobedient uh, calls by her husband. In the same way, a child... A child does not have to obey uh, commands from a parent that clearly violate the commands of Scripture. It is a similar to what we see in regards to governments, that Christians have to obey God above their governmental authorities. And so if their government causes, calls them to do something that is clearly in violation of Scriptural commands, then they can disobey, or they, and perhaps they ought to disobey, in the same way with children. You obey in everything unless your parents are clearly articulating that you do something that God has told you not to do. But let me say this, that it better be abundantly clear. Because the command, the command in Scripture, what is abundantly clear, you can't get much more clear than this, children, obey your parents. And therefore, the command in Scripture, that you cannot be some you know, broad sense of, well, I don't think that's right biblically. There needs to be clear evidence, as clear evidence as the command to obey your parents, that your parents are asking you to disobey another command, uh, if, you, if, if it is that clear, then you can disobey them. But if it's just some of your, your kind of ethical wanderings, then you don't get to disobey them. It needs to be abundantly clear 
that they're calling you to disobey something that God has commanded. One final point is this. Some of you kids may be going, that this is completely unfair. That my parents are sinners, they're hypocrites, they don't do what they tell me to do. Yes, and yet God still calls you to obey them. And you have a great example of this. Jesus did this. See, Jesus has a perfect Heavenly Father, and He perfectly obeys His Heavenly Father all the way to the cross. But He didn't just have a Heavenly Father, did He? He also had earthly parents, didn't He? There's a passage in Luke chapter 2 where Jesus and His family, they're heading off. He's now 12 years old. They head off to Jerusalem for some festivals, and He's there hanging out in the temple, and He's, he's doing, He ends up discussing with the, the scribes, the teachers of the law. And apparently Jesus is a rather good theologian because He wonders them, makes them at all at His theological abilities, at 12 years old. And while he's talking to them, his parents decide to leave town and head back home, and they forget Jesus. And they stress out, and they go running back to Jerusalem, and they find him hanging out with the teachers of the law. And in some ways, they're they're perturbed. But it says, even with that, Jesus, it says, obeys his parents. And at the end of Luke chapter 2, I think at verse 51, it says, he went and he submitted himself. He was subordinate to him, to them. If the Son of God who is utterly perfect and righteous, if the one who created his very own parents would be willing to obey them, I think you can obey your parents as well, even in their sinfulness, even in their brokenness and their weakness. Now what is really important to see is that this command, both in Colossians chapter 3, but in particular we see it in Ephesians 6, because it points back to the fifth commandment, is not simply for young children. By the way, I, I skipped over this. How long, how long are you called to be, to be obedient to your parents in everything? The, the, I, the, the scriptures are not absolutely abundantly clear as to when you're nece- not necessarily a child anymore, whether it's 12 or 18 or 21. Those are usually culturally developed senses of what adulthood is. But I would say biblically, my best stab at it ethically is that as long as you are dependent on your parents in some way, shape, or form, then that means that you're still under their authority and you obey them in all of their commands. But what about you, those of you who are beyond your parents' commands, who are clearly adults, that are no longer physically or financially dependent upon them, living in their home, out on your own? The call for you, it says in Ephesians 6 and in the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, that you are to honor your father and your mother. This is a command both for you young kids... And honoring, as we're going to see, goes beyond obedience. And it has to do with those of you who are adults. And in fact, even for those of you whose parents are deceased, honor your father and mother. What is it that this commandment actually presses on us? Let me tell you first really quickly what this commandment doesn't say. It doesn't say that you have to have deep affection for your parents. Because for some of you, that would be almost impossible. It is not, I don't think God is calling us to have a deep affection for a parent that has abused us. Some of you, it is, it is, the fifth commandment does not say admire your parents because some of you have parents that are very much not admirable. They are in fact very unworthy of your honor. Some of you, some of you, it doesn't even say obey your parents because you're no longer under their authority. But what it does say is you are to honor your parents. And here's, I'm going to kind of give you a brief definition And we're going to splice it out a little bit of what honoring your parents. The definition of honoring could be this. Honor your parents is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy and to seek to provide lifelong loyalty to their best interests. Honoring your parents is a decision and an activity to treat your parents with dignity and with courtesy and to seek to provide lifelong loyalty 
to their best interests. This is such an important command to live this out and for you adult parents to live this out in front of your children because this affects not only your family, but this affects the culture at large. The sense of honoring parents. You know, there's an old fairy tale. You know, the, the old fairy tales of old, they're all weird, aren't they? I mean, it's not, you know, most of them you're like, I'm not reading this to my kid before bed. This is creepy and weird. You know, Grimm's, Grimm Brothers fairy tales, there's one that's a little bit lesser known in which there is, it's about a particular family in which the fa- a father has to go live with his son and his son's wife, his daughter-in-law, and their family. He has grown kind of older and senile. He's physically kind of not able to do the things that he used to do. And, and, and the married son and the married daughter, begin. they're not treating him super well, not with great dignity and honor. And in particular, the, the, the daughter-in-law has, a, has great uh, scorn for, and, and slander for her father-in-law. And over time, she grows more and more frustrated as he's sitting at the dinner table each and every night, and he's losing his physical capacities, and he gets kind of messy from here and there. And, and she has to clean him up and clean up the table a lot. And, and finally, one day, he spills his porridge, his, his, poor, his, his, his warm porridge, all over the place. And she says, that's it. She grabs him by the shoulder, kind of lifts him up, and drags him to the other room. And she says, from now on, until you can learn to eat like a sensible human being, you're going to eat in here all by yourself. The old man was rather bewildered, but went on day after day, wondering why he wasn't able to eat with the family anymore, but sitting there eating his porridge. Till one day, he crossed the line again, and he dropped his bowl, spilling his porridge all over the floor, and cracking his bowl, destroying it into pieces. With this, the daughter-in-law had lost it. She grabbed him, she yelled at him, and then she stormed out of the house. They live on a farm, and so she gra- runs out to the pigsty. She grabs the, the, the pig, uh, uh, the food bin. What is that called? Ryan, thank you. Um, sorry, Ryan, I've asked you. Um, uh, <laughs> the pig trough, she grabs the pig trough, she takes it in the house, she throws his porridge into the pig trough and says, if you want to eat like an animal, then you get to eat like an animal in the house. So you get to eat out of this day after day after day. Well, a few days later, they see their little son outside. And he's learned to do some woodworking, and he's working on something. And his family sees that he's, he's building a, a pig trough. And his parents ask him, why are you building a pig trough? And he says, because I'm getting it ready so that when you and daddy are older, I have something to feed you out of when you're older and living in my house. The, con- the point is this, the consequence is this, is the dishonor that we give to our parents has a ripple effect it breaks down families over generations, but also the child that sees the grandparent dishonored will not honor those in authority in their life in other places. That the parent is the first line of honor and authority in a child's life, and if, they fail to, if a culture fails to teach their kids to honor their parents, then they will not honor their governmental authorities either. The breakdown of the family in this way is causing havoc left and right. And this is what's going on. Children are to honor their parents. And this is of incredible significance and seriousness, even for you adults. You see, what we want to give in in honoring our parents is we want to give them the weight, the significance of what, of their position in our lives. See, the Hebrew word for honor, both used in the fifth commandment throughout, is the Hebrew word, it's a very significant word called kaved. It has the same root word as the, as the Hebrew word kavod, which is the word glory, which God says, I am glory. And what it literally means is weighty. To honor your parents is to consider them as weighty. In our modern language, we would say that they are significant, that they hold a significant place in our lives, even if they are not a, fa- a, 
of parents who necessarily parented you very, very well. They are still significant, and we inherently know this, right? The person who brings you into life is inherently insignificant in your life. And this is who they are. We treat them with the significance that they deserve. Even in their failures, we see their significance. And in fact, in their failures, we see again their significance. The people who have the greatest opportunity, for many of you, the wounds of your life are inflicted by a parent. And the reason why those, those wounds hurt so badly and cut so deeply because of the significant role they play in your life. Now, what does honoring look like? I called my dad or emailed my dad this week and said, all right, I'm an adult child. You're a pastor. You thought about these things. What does it look like to honor you as a parent, even as an adult, and also for kids to honor their, their adult parents as well? He gave me a number of six or seven. I'm going to give you five of what he gave me and add a few thoughts to, to him myself. First, so five things, what it looks like to honor your parents. First, honor your parents means you speak respectfully to them. And in particular, I would say here, you find ways to express gratitude. Listen, you may have terrible parents, and many of you do. Find ways in, as a means of seeking to honor them. Honor them for what you can honor them for. Encourage them for what you can encourage them for. Second, a second way to honor parents is to speak respectfully about them. In our day and age, it is the, the, the daddy wounds, are, it's in, they are real, but the way we so often speak about our parents is slanderous. And it is dishonoring of their role in our lives. Speak graciously about your parents. Particularly, I see this in college students and those who are beginning to date a lot, a lot more. What you, if you get into involved in a serious relationship, it seems like the first year and a half is spent, hey, let's compare wounds. Was your parents worse than my parents? Listen, there, I am not saying that you don't acknowledge abuse. It needs to be brought into light. And particularly if you're a child, then you should bring that to an adult so that the defects can be called on your parents if they are abusing you. But we are to speak still respectfully about them as best we can. Third, Christian children of all ages are to be sensitive to their parents' feelings. This means you extend them the grace and mercy that you would like to have extended to you. Kids, do you understand that your parents are always parenting for the first time? I, was, I found this, this is what I learned from watching my parents a number of years ago as we transitioned and we, my, me and my sisters moved out of the house and we got married, was they, even though they were, we were no longer under their, their authority, they were still our parents. And with that, they had to relearn how to be parents to marry people. From when I got married, my parents for the first time were learning to what it is to engage with married folks. And then we had children and now they have to learn how to engage with us as having parents who are, who are parents of their grandchildren. You are always a first-time parent. Always. And let me ask you this. When you do something for the first time, do you do it really, really well? No. No. They are learning on the job. They, they do not come wired with abilities, perfect abilities to parent. And for many of your parents, they are doing the best job that they can. That they came from even more broken homes than you came from. They came from abusive homes. And for many of them, they're trying to alter and shift the things that were so wrong in their households. And they're falling far, far short. They are. They're failing you as children. They have failed you in many, many ways. But seek to be gracious and forgiving in much the same way that you would want to be extended forgiveness and grace and mercy. You extend that to your parents as well. Fourth, respect their views and their authority. My father tells a story about how in his father, 
about his father and how he went and asked his father, who had been in the real estate business for 30 years, advice when my dad was about to buy his first home. My dad's dad was not a man who was necessarily worthy of esteem. He um, was failed in business in many, many ways. He ran for public office and never won. He left his, his family uh, when my dad was 15 years old. Uh, in many ways, he was abusive. One of my dad's most poignant memories is his own father holding a knife up to his mother's throat at the dinner table and threatening to slit her throat. And yet, in his older age, my father, as a means of respecting his views, went to him when he was going to buy a house because he saw him as an authority in that issue. When my father went to his own father's funeral, him, uh, he had a num- number of, of my grandfather's friends who came up to my dad and said, you have no idea what that meant. That while all your other brothers and sisters seemed to completely disown him, the fact that you would ask his opinion on something meant the world to him. Parents, children, yes, teenagers, one of the, some of the best conversations I ever had was going to my dad and asking for his views on things. Respect their views, respect their, that they are an authority on how to do life more than you are. And let me also say this as a side note, since I'm dealing with so many couples in pre-engagement and premarital counseling right now. Young men who are going to try, seeking to engage themselves to a young woman, you respect the role that that man plays. No matter the sob stories that you have heard, you respect the position. I, I, I don't understand the arrogance of 22-year-olds who have suddenly made themselves the moral compass to such a degree that they can go point the finger at a man and say, I'm not going to ask for your permission or your blessing to marry your daughter because you, did the, you failed in these ways as a parent. You just wait till you're a parent and see how well you succeed. You respect the man's authority. It's his role to give his daughter. He is the one that God has placed as an authority over that woman. And so you respect the position and ask his permission and ask his blessing in order to marry her. If a man did that, came to me and said, eh, I don't really want your permission, and you can give me your blessing if you really want to, I would say, you know what? The wall just got 10 feet higher. It just got, you just got six months added to the courtship period of time. Until you can learn to submit to authority in the way that you ought to, you'll never be a good father unless you can submit to the father who has raised your daughter or your future wife. Fifth, and finally, and this is clearly for my father, finally, honor your parents by consciously seeking their happiness. You kids, you, you, even you young kids, as you're developing and growing, that you uh, get this. Your parents want, well, let me rephrase this. Many of your parents want to be proud of you. Your parents want to be happy with you. They, they, they want to say that they're glad in you. And in fact, this is scriptural. Three passages in Proverbs. Proverbs 10.1, it says this, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Proverbs 15.20, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son despises his mother. Uh, Proverbs 23, 24, and 25, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. It, children, it should be a goal in your life to make your mommies and daddies say, I am delighted in you. Now listen to me. Because many of you have broken parents who do not dole out love near to the extent and the approval that they ought to. If you make this ultimate, it will crush you. Okay? This has to be secondary to God's love for you. But you should, des- you should desire, you should live in such a way that your parents are proud to say, that is my son that is my daughter. It's biblical and it's scriptural. It's not ultimate, but it is a goal that you should have in your life. All right, so those are the ways. That's the call 
to, to children, whether you're adult or young, to honor and obey your parents. But we have the question, why? Why? I mean, other than the fact that mom and dad really, really liked each other and got to do something that was really fun and therefore birthed me, why does that make, make them, put them in a place where I have to honor and respect and obey them? Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, I'm going to give you three reasons from this verse. I'm going to read it again, and then we'll walk through it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Three reasons I think are given here in this passage. The first is this. It is right. In some ways, you want to say, it is right, period. And that feels in some ways like what's what God's saying. Hey, children, obey your parents. End of sentence. Close the argument. Just do it. It is right. What is he pointing? What's Paul pointing to here? I think Paul is pointing to a natural moral order that is in the world. That God has given us a structure of the way things work. First, it's natural, right? It just makes sense that a child whose parents help create him, who birthed him, who provide for their needs, who maintain their needs, ought to submit and obey that person. If someone is keeping you from dying, you should honor them in some way, shape, or form. And so it's natural. Second, there's a moral order of things. There is a moral structure in the universe that God has laid out there. There's a right and there's a wrong, and there is a way in which God has created things. And there is a freedom to living in the order that God has made. And he has made an order where parents are called by God to be authorities over their children. He's also made it in such that there's governmental authorities who have authority over their citizens. There's these structures and authorities that we see in the natural worlds. And there is great freedom, children, in obeying and honoring your parents. It is right. To live within the structure that God has created for you is a joyful thing. If we live without authority in our lives, we don't actually live with freedom. We create nothing good. Ed Hogan, who's missed the last couple of weeks of worship because he's, he's been working so hard, he's been the last three or four weeks. Ed, if you may not know this, but Ed is one of the top probably four or five um, arrangers of music in the entire country for choral music. And during this particular season, he's got all these contracts and he's preparing all this Christmas music because they produce the music now and to get ready for the marketing for Christmas season eight, nine months from now. And he's about to go next week to a recording studio, and they're going to sit there with the composer and with him as the arranger, and they're going to have all the musicians there and all the singers, and they're going to create the demo to send out to the churches to say, hey, would you like to buy this choral music? Now, the conductor there, if you're playing in a symphony, if you're playing with a group of people in music or even singing, does it sound good if everybody just does what they want to do? No. It sounds awful. Nothing beautiful is created. But if you live under the authority of the conductor, something glorious is created. In the same way with your life, that's the way it is here. It is right to live within the structures of authorities that God has given you because in that there is freedom. There's a fence in which you can play and play well and create something beautiful. All right, that's first the first reason. The second reason is there's a promise. Second reason is you, that you to obey and honor your parents is simply because God, God commands it, but then he also gives you a promise of good things if you'll obey. The fifth commandment is the, is the only commandment there that we see is enforced with this promise. Go well, it will go well with you, and you'll enjoy a long life. Now, this does not necessarily mean that you will live 80 years. This is not an across-the-board blanket statement that if you obey and honor your parents, that you'll inevitably live a very long life, and you'll be rich and wealthy and healthy. That's not what it's saying here. But it is saying 
that there is a correlation between obeying your parents. And some of you, some of you parents may have used this in some not-so-holy moments. <laughs> oh, you're not going to obey. Would you like to see the age of 12, right? It is a blessing. It is good for your physical well-being to obey your, to obey your parents. Little kids, five, six, seven years old, right? It is a blessing to living a long life to learn from their parents not to run in the road. There is a blessing for those of you who learned from your parents that said, hey, stay in on Friday night and do your homework. Be, do Pursue this degree, pursue this career. It has blessings for you financially and health-wise if you will listen to the tracks and run on the tracks that your parents have laid out for you. It's a bless, there's blessings there. But there's also, we'll see in other places in Scripture, besides the fifth commandment, in which there's significant cursings for not obeying them, right? Did you know that for an older adult child that rebels against their parents and slanders their parents, it was one of the capital offenses in Old Testament Israel? Deuteronomy 21, the parent that slanders and reviles and rebels against their parents, the parents are to bring him before the, the elders and authorities of the country, and they're to drag him out of the city, and they are to stone him. This is, seems like a little bit of an overreaction. But it shows the great importance of this role and this relationship, that it is dangerous to disobey. It's dangerous before God, and frankly, it's, it's dangerous in life to disobey your parents. My dad uses the illustration of watching uh, National Geographic, right? And you see, watch the herd of cattle running along, and there's the lions outside the cattle. And the, 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 the animal, the baby animal that runs with its mother... Is safe within the herd, but the animal that runs away, runs outside the pack, is what? Lunch. And some of you, some of you are become, may become spiritual lunch to the devil because you, re, you refuse to obey your parents. You put yourself in a place that is spiritually dangerous. There are blessings and there are cursings for obeying your parents. Would you heed them, heed the warning? Now, the seriousness of why God would put such an enormous thing like stoning on the table is because of the third reason. The third reason is this, that you should honor and obey your parents because of the position that they hold and what they represent. Ephesians 6 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord under authority of God. And then it quotes from Ephesians 6, which quotes from the Ten Commandments. Now you have to understand, understand this. You have to understand that the Ten Commandments are given in two tables. There's one that's called the first table, which is the first five commandments, which is considered to have to do with our vertical relationship between us and God. And the last five, verse, uh, commandments 6 through 10, are horizontal commandments which uh, adjudicate the way in which we're to react or relate to one another. Now, you ask yourself, okay, why is it that honoring your father and mother is on the first table and part of that, the, the vertical relationship? Well, the answer is this, by Hebrew scholars, is this, is that they viewed it, that the t relationship between the, the, the parent and the child is the first representation in your life of your relationship with God. That parents create you in a way, like God creates you. They provide for you. They provide authority and law over you. They pursue you. They maintain and provide the various needs that you have in your life. The fact is, is that you show that your parents, you should obey and honor your parents because of the position that they hold that represents the God that you serve. God says, obey them as a means of worshiping me. We hold them in high honor. We, we have the same approach when it comes to people in, in the presidents, right? Or judges. 
that we aren't necessarily esteeming the man for what he has or has not done, but we speak about him and speak to him in a certain way, even if he's from the other party that we're not a part of, that we honor the position, we honor the office in the same way children, even if your parents are not the greatest parents, even if their positions in the household are not something that you like, or you esteem them personally, you honor them because of the position representing God in your life that they hold. Plato himself said this, on the scale of human decencies, the honor of parents is second only to honoring God. And in fact, they are connected. Now for many of you, even with all those reasons that I've just given you, this idea and this thought, whether you're a teenager or a small child, or probably many of you, the ones who are struggling with this the most are adult parents, adult folks, adult children in this room. Is to think, and you hear this call and this command to honor your father and mother, and you think, no way, you don't know my parents. You don't know what it was like to live in my house on a Friday night when my dad would get liquored up and come home and beat me. You don't know what it was like to live in a house with that mother that we came to call the witch. You don't know what it was like to have her breathing down your neck, never giving you any encouragement. You don't know what it's like. The reaction of many people when they, hear the, when they hear the command, honor your father and mother, is to say, you don't know my mom and dad. They are not worthy of these things. For many of you young kids, you, particularly you teenagers, one of the reasons why teenagers rebel is because you begin to realize that your parents are flawed. You see, you kind of unconsciously knew it when you were younger, but now you're very aware, and you're seeing that your parents are hypocrites, that they're sinners, that they're weak, and you can try to take advantage of that. You see their weaknesses and your sins. For you adults, you see your parents' failures. Perhaps you were the type of child who saw your parents' approval and acceptance. You were the one. You said, I want my parents to delight and say, well done to you. And you never heard it. You never heard it. And they failed you in that way. Steve Martin, the comedian, very famous, at his father's funeral, when his father died at 83, he went to his father's funeral and he was surprised because many of his father's friends came up to him and was talking about what a great man his father was said, he's so kind and so generous. Steve Martin said this about his dad. He said, I remember him as angry. There is little that he ever said to me that I recall was not criticism. During my teenage years, we hardly spoke except in one-way arguments from him to me. I am sure that the number of words that went between us could have been counted. He went on to say that sometime in his early teens, he decided because of the way his father treated him that he was going to hate him. His father never provided the approval and acceptance that he so longed for. When Steve Martin made the SNL crew and became a significant success, his own father wrote a critical review of him in the local newspaper. When his first movie came out, and he was there at the after party of the movie release, he's there with all his friends, and his parents are there, and his friends are toasting to Steve and acknowledging what a great comedian is and how greatly he performed, produced the movie, and his own, but his own father was silent. And the people around him were appalled by his father's seemingly indifference, and they pushed him, and they said, do you have anything to to say, so they, they say, toast from you, and he got up, and all he said was this, well, he's no Charlie Chaplin, is he? Steve Martin never got his daddy's approval, and for many of you, the reason why you cannot honor your parents is because that was the life that you lived, and for many of you, you'd say, you think that's bad? You should hear about my childhood. And so for you, you either disdain your parents' weaknesses, their sins, or you hold bitterness against them because of the approval and the love that they withheld from you, Here's my call to you this morning, if that's where you are, is please don't give your parents that power. 
You see, for many of you, soft, you, maybe you don't even speak to your parents anymore. Or you just have, a, all it is is duty. It's just very rote. There's no love. There's no affection. There's no even desire to honor them because you view them as dishonorable. And for many of you, the reason why, why it is that way is because you failed to forgive them. And you thought by running away from home, by getting away from them, starting your own family, you were just rejecting them. You're getting away from their control of your life. In reality, they're still controlling you. They're controlling you through your bitterness still at them, your hatred of them. Don't give your earthly parents what is only due to your heavenly Father. Give your longings, seek their longings, the satisfaction, the approval, and the acceptance that you so desperately need from a true and good Father. How are you able to honor and obey unworthy parents? Well, you need a perfect parent. The call to honor and obey is to do so because of your love and joy in pleasing the perfect Father. That's what it says in Colossians 3. It says, obey for it is pleasing to God. And for many of you, there's no way in which you would do anything pleasurable and joyous for your your parents because of the way you were treated. For many of you, maybe you're just rebelling against your parents. Your parents are fine, but you're just a jerk. Well, you need to come to face-to-face with the God and the Father who loves you and learn to live your life seeking to please Him. See, we have a worthy Father who is worthy of being pleased. You see, the story that we have with God and Father is very different from the story that many of us have with our parents. You see, for many of you, you sought your whole life to delight your parents. You sought, you, you were worthy of their acceptance and their approval. But their love was conditional. It was arbitrary. Their approval and acceptance of you was fickle, and perhaps it was impossible to get and achieve. But the story between you and your heavenly Father is quite different. In fact, the tables are quite turned. There we have a Father who loves us, who creates us, who provides for us, who gives us good things, who pursues us, and what have we done? We have been utterly unacceptable. We have played the rebel and the prodigal. We have run away from home, and in fact, we've joined the enemy's team, our Father's greatest enemy. We have served him instead. This is our story. But is that where the story ends? For many of us, I hope not. See, the story of the gospel is this, is that there's a heavenly father who loves you so deeply that even when you are unacceptable, he pursued you. And how did he pursue you? He sent a perfect son. He sent a perfectly acceptable, approved, righteous son who came to earth and perfectly lived out honoring and obeying his heavenly father. And in fact, honoring and obeying his earthly parents as well. And then he went to the cross. He obeyed all the way to the cross so that so that his perfect righteousness could be placed on you, so that when God the Father sees you, he says, you are my child, well done, my beloved. That's the gospel. That's the kind of father you have. Even when you were running away from him, he pursued you to bring you in and bring you home. This is a worthy father, and his name is God. His name is Creator. He pursues those who are running from him. And like we focus on this morning, the fact that Jesus is your priest, for many of you, Many of you, you, you didn't have a father that abused you. You had a father who worked really hard. You had a father that provided. But he, there was, he, had, he was not accessible at all. He came in. He was emotionally shut off. He didn't hurt you. He provided. Paid for school. That's lovely. But this father is perfectly, wonderfully accessible to us through Jesus Christ. One of the great, the great visions of my childhood, I had a great father and mother. This, this sermon, I get to honor my parents. I had a great father and mother. When I was a child growing up, the, the scene that was played out day in and day out in my life is I'd walk across the house, I'd walk into my parents' room, and they'd be praying for people in the church, and they would see that I was there, they would stop, and they would begin to pray for me. 
My father, who was a very, very busy man, he had a church of about 800 to 1,000 people, Christian school, homeschool group. He also was my basketball coach. But even with that busyness, when he would go in the Do Not Disturb to try to write a sermon or probably also to take a nap because he had four children, he would say to his secretary, okay, you can disturb me for two people. If Billy Graham calls or if one of my children calls. We had access to my parents. I remember going to other friends' houses, and their parents' room was this sanctuary, shut off. It was dark. Kids weren't allowed to go there. If they went down to the door, they would have to hovel and grovel and knock sheepishly and with fright at the door of their parents, not my parents' door. It was open. Now, some of you maybe need to close your kids out. If you have like six kids, shut them out. You need a sanctuary, parents. But from time to time, open the door and say, come into our lives. And that's what my parents did for us. They're the, the, the love of the Father is so accessible. The love of the Father is unconditional. Unconditional. He loves you unconditionally. He approves of you. And this is the Father that, that you have. And here's my question to you. You may, here's my call to you. You may not have a parent that's worthy of the honor that, you could, you could, that God calls you to give them. But you have a God who is so worthy of your life. Don't you want to please Him? And this good father says, you want to please me? Go back and forgive a parent that has hurt you deeply. Go back and care for an ailing parent. Go and honor, speak respectfully about a parent who doesn't deserve it, but you're going to do it anyways to please and honor me. Let's pray.